Hey everyone, it's Anita. Welcome to Chain Reaction, where we unpack and explain the latest in crypto news, drama, and trends, breaking things down block by block for the crypto curious. I interviewed Anatoly Yakovenko on stage at TechCrunch Disrupt. He is the co-founder of Solana and the CEO of Solana Labs. I wanted to chat with him about how Solana is trying to sustain the massive growth it saw last year amid the bear market and hear about his plans to bring Web3 mobile with the launch of a new crypto phone. So he shared a lot of his thoughts on those topics, and we also had a pretty interesting discussion on the lack of diversity in Web3. It was fascinating, so we wanted to replay it on today's podcast for anyone who might have missed it. Let's get into it. Holy, it's great to have you on stage. Awesome to be here. You were uh, joking about this is the longest time you're going to be off Twitter, which I thought was hilarious. Yeah, yeah. Me too. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so Solana was really successful in 2021. You guys had a really fantastic year and everyone heard about you. You're sort of this blockchain that just emerged and broke out. And 2022 has been a little bit harder, though, right? Like you've had some outages. It's a tougher macro environment as well. And it's just been a more challenging landscape for crypto. So given that, you know, how are you planning on sort of maintaining the relevance of Solana? Well, I think despite the market downturn and despite, you know, a bunch of technical issues, we see user numbers still growing for certain kinds of applications like NFTs and things like that are still in number of mints. I think 500,000 mints a day sometimes. But, uh, but trading volumes are down. Trading volumes are definitely down. And those, I think, depend on the macro environment. But if you look at the total number, it's still about 20 to 30 million per day which is ridiculous, right? Like if you kind of step back for a second and you think about what's happening, these are pictures of cats, <laughs> right? That are yeah. traded $20, $30 million per day on platforms like Magic Eden and OpenSea. What's really interesting about that is that this is a core Web3 business model. It's an entire stack to make money on the web purely from digital content that does not rely on the Google ad exchange or the Facebook ad exchange to monetize or a subscription. So this is actually, I think, a clear paradigm shift in how you can make money on the web. And it's one that's really sticky despite the market downturns, despite, you know, crazy blowups and hacks like and whatever, like Luna or whatever, people are still creating, people are still forming communities and trading and stuff like that. And what gives you confidence that that's going to continue? So... I don't know if the NFTs are going to scale to hundreds of millions of users. This is like the big unknown. Right now, when you kind of look at crypto, you know, at its peak, we had maybe 10 million monthly active signers between all the blockchains combined. So these are folks that actually have installed Phantom or MetaMask or some kind of wallet and on a monthly basis use one of these you know, decentralized applications. It's a pretty small set. Right, 10 million users. Right now, it's probably two and a half million. So what is it going to take for us to get to 50 million to 100 million actual users that understand key phrases and BIP39 recovery and like securing all that right. stuff, right? <laughs> what is it going to take? Um, this is the big question. And uh, I think the way that we think about it is that um, it's not going to be like the AOL keywords of crypto. It's not going to be something that hides the actual elements of self-custody. It has to be something that is so good that people are willing to figure it out and learn. And when we, when we see that, we can then actually focus on the UX and improve maybe some of the security challenges there, some of the UX challenges, and get more people to adopt. But I think the applications have to drive adoption. It's not going to be 
let's hide crypto in the background somewhere and like host your wallets on, on Amazon and all of a sudden everyone's a crypto user. Yeah. So I know NFTs have been a really big part of Solana's ecosystem growth. But if you're wrong about NFTs, hypothetically, then what else do you think will drive growth in the ecosystem? So I think like what does it mean to be wrong about NFTs? Like right now we see those assets split out into like a bunch of different verticals. Some are building brands like Hello Kitty. Some are trying to build IP and lore, like the next Marvel or whatever. Some are building games around them. Some are building social networks. So all of these things that you imagine, you know, in the post-crypto adoption world, when we have a billion users with self-custody, all those things will exist, right? Like, but the stepping stone there right now is for a startup is potentially make an NFT set then figure out how to build elements around it that create these social network effects or gaming or whatever. So I know you're excited about NFTs, but I know there's also something else that you've talked about being excited about, which is the Solana phone. You guys are launching a Web3 mobile phone. Can you Absolutely. tell us a little more about, yeah. about that? So this is kind of the, you know, me. I, I spent most of my career at Qualcomm. Like the first time I looked at crypto, I kind of just immediately thought, well, your phone has all the hardware to be a hardware wallet. And an application environment for you to build amazing experiences for signing, for dealing with mixed media like NFTs or whatever, that should be your primary wallet and it should be baked in. But neither Google or Apple really want to take that on because true digital asset ownership disrupts their business models. Like when you're the content creator and you have an app on you know, the iOS app store, you can take the 30% fee and you can basically eat it and give it to Apple. Magic Eden can't sell a $10,000 NFT for $13,000 on the iOS app. They can't just add that tax, nor can they eat it, because that will basically destroy their profits. So this idea of true digital ownership means that the digital items have to be treated like physical ones. And this is just not something that Apple or Google are really built around. They're built around a very rent-seeking model where all the content is really owned by the creator, and you as a user... You rent it, you know, when you buy a, a video from Amazon, you know, buy to own, you don't actually own it, right? Like everyone realizes that you don't own it. <laughs> sure. Yeah. I guess, you know, when you announced the phone, I was thinking that it's, it's a pretty tough business to be in, right? It's really capital intensive. It's hard to launch a mobile phone. And at the same time, there are so many companies that have tried to do it and failed in the past, like Facebook is one notable example. Why do you think Solana can get it right where others haven't? I worked... Uh, Worked on the Facebook phone, worked, worked on the Amazon Fire, the Windows Metro, a bunch of those failed. Main difference now is that it's actually not that capital intensive. The phone market has matured to a point where, you know, Awesome, the OEM that we're partnering with, it's a 40-person startup. They're not a huge company. They can quickly build an amazing device and focus on design and the very small modifications to Android to enable this Web3 experience. So a lot of this stuff is done. The reason why I think the opportunity exists right now is because... We don't have to go and like get 10 million sales right off the bat. We can actually target a very small niche audience, which is crypto-heavy Web3 users that want a delightful experience for their self-custody. So imagine, you know, we have the 50, 100,000 people that on a daily basis trade on OpenSea and Magic Eden. That is a more lucrative distribution channel for developers than the big app stores with 100 million users. Because for Web3, all the money is in these very small niche groups right now. I'm curious if you think that's going to change. Do you see that user base sort of expanding? That's the hope, right? And we don't know what the applications are that are going to do it. This is the kind of 
the billion dollar question. Like if I knew what the app was that's going to bring 50 million users, we'd be pitching it right now. I'd be promoting sure. it. <laughs> yeah, I think it's sort of a chicken and egg question sometimes with developers and users in Web3, right? Do you agree that, or would you say that if developers come into the ecosystem, that's going to bring users? Which of those things do you think comes first? Yeah, this is, um, you can, you're trying to build a flywheel here, right? And I think with these crypto boom and bust cycles, when developers build new user experiences, they bring an influx of users, you have a boom market that's saturated, that new experience gets saturated. Like the idea of digital gold, I think is pretty saturated. I think potentially NFTs might be saturated as well. Then something else has to be built. And you know, in the next 18, 24 months, the more startups that get into crypto and try and figure that out will drive the next cycle. Like you saw, I think, with DeFi summer last time. So I know you haven't publicly announced how much the phone is going to cost, but rumors are kind of swirling and it, they're saying that it's going to cost around $1,000. Is that yeah, true? Yeah, that's correct. Gotcha. And do you think that people are, have that kind of money and are willing to pay that for the phone? And It's uh, by hardware specs, it is, I'd say, $300 cheaper than it should be when you're comparing it to like the latest Samsung or Apple device. So it is very cost effective for people to want a premium phone. We don't know yet, like, but our goal isn't to sell like 10 million units. I think we would be very happy with like 25, 50,000 units in the next year. That would be awesome. Is this something you're trying to use as a tool to attract developers? Yeah, absolutely. This is a developer play, right? If we have a Web3 distribution channel for mobile devs, that really gives them freedom to explore and build awesome experiences that, you know, when you're signing a transaction, you're not like switching between four applications or copying and pasting links. It's literally like Apple Pay. Right. Like I think users would be delighted by that and developers are going to build awesome applications. And those are the flywheels that we need for the next cycle. I guess one thing I wonder about is the developers might be building things, but if the users don't come, is this sort of a moonshot from you guys, this phone, or is this like a critical and crucial part of what you're doing at Solana Labs? This is, uh, I would say, one of the moonshots. Like I think the reason why we can do this is because it's cheap enough to try that it's not going to break the bank or anything like that. And the opportunity is here right now because both Google and Apple, I don't know what's going to have to change internally for them to give up on the 30% like tax on, on apps. It's just, you know, it's just too good for them to give it up in the next five years. So Are while you- while that wedge exists and crypto, let's say, actually grows from 10 million monthly actives to 100 million monthly actives in the next five years, I would imagine so does, you know, the SMS stack or the phone itself. Are you worried that Google and Apple could change their mind on that? That would be a win. Like we basically, if we drive that decision, then we've won for everyone in crypto. I think that would be awesome. (laughs) So I'm curious about, you know, you guys have been really good at attracting a lot of developers to the ecosystem. That's been a big part of, you know, what Solana is known for. You have these hacker houses, you've built a big community, but how are you planning on maintaining that momentum and that growth and continuing to attract developers to build on Solana? So the market for, I think, seed level teams, I think is still not like burning hot like it was six months ago where I think most funding rounds were like over 100 million. Yeah. But they're still pretty crazy. I think teams are, are raising seed pre-product, basically just, you know, a couple engineers at 50 million valuations, like with five mil, right? Like it's just still pretty insane. So I don't know how long that's going to last, but a lot of the funds raised astronomical amounts of sums of money in the last boom market. So that's going to carry it for a while. And that, that's really, I think, kind of the key part 
for all these hacker houses and hackathons and all these events is, you know, one of our biggest KPIs is how many devs do we see that get funding by a legitimate VC to actually go start a company? It's a really competitive space though, right? And I, you know, when Solana first started gaining a lot of traction, everybody was calling Solana the Ethereum killer. Now there are Solana killers, different layer ones that have popped up. I mean, how are you looking at sort of differentiating yourself, especially as Ethereum has come out stronger, in in my opinion, post-merge? So if you take all the layer twos and all the other major blockchains combined, Solana does more transactions per second than all of them combined. (laughs) So that's the differentiator, right? Because of our technology, we can reduce fees to a point where the kinds of things that developers can build are just different. They're not available anywhere else. And this includes things like Pith, which, you know, does tens of millions of transactions per day or Serum. These are much bigger applications, but those provide a base layer that folks use and compose with for other applications that are built on top. So this is something that's really hard to replicate. I don't know if our technology edge is going to continue, but it's already there and it keeps getting better and better. Yeah, I I do want to talk more about competition. I feel like you have an interesting view on it as someone in crypto and I know you're okay with competition. You've played hockey and that's kind of your thing. So I'm wondering about, you know, just with all of these different different areas that you could face competitive threats from, what are you more concerned about? Are you more concerned about the incumbents like Ethereum or are you more concerned about upstarts? Yeah, probably more upstarts. I think this is something like Paul Graham has always written about. Don't worry about the big companies. Right. They're, never gonna, they're always going to be too slow. I think it's usually an upstart with a clever idea that, it's, this is a very hard space to optimize for because you're really trying to fight this thing, Vitalik called the trilemma, right? You're trying to build a network that's decentralized and secure and performant all at the same time. And all these things fight each other. I think an upstart is much more likely to potentially pick some point on this curve of trade-offs that might do really well in some very niche thing that, that's just unexpected. Any particular ones that you're worried about? So far, no. Like, I think I'm honestly surprised, but we haven't seen any networks launch in the last year that have both tried to have a very large validator set that guarantees security for users and high performance at the same time. So even the layer twos and sharding and all these other approaches, application chains, they're all around 100 to 150 validators, basically what Tendermint did five years ago. So when you're in that box, I think you are somewhat constraining yourself to the amount of value you can hold or how much you can grow in the, in the decentralization angle. I guess speaking about the trilemma and the different trade-offs that you have in building a blockchain, you in the past year have experienced some major network outages and you know, those have been pretty high profile. What are you doing to ensure that that doesn't happen again? Yeah, so when you're focusing on the decentralization side of it, you're trying to maximize the number of validators in the network because what you really care about is when you have a catastrophic failure that at least one survives. And that guarantees that no matter what happens, that the network will always continue eventually. Now, that's a kind of a very esoteric kind of like nerdy explanation because when you're an application user and something isn't working, you don't really care, (laughs) right? Right. You're you're pissed at that moment. But, yeah, you just wanted to, right. want to move on and do your transaction so, or whatever. So, so the, the reliability angle is really, really hard to do when you start increasing the size of the network and you want to maintain high performance because the data load, the amount of data, the amount of forks that you're dealing with just also increases. And like, it's called the quadratic message problem and consensus. It's just the bigger the network gets, the more data it has to handle, and then 
something goes wrong, Solana prefers safety over liveness. And it means that the nodes just say, hey, I don't know what to do, so I'm going to stall. And in that event, that's when we recover. So those kinds of bugs suck. There's a bunch of work happening between our validators and the community and our internal engineering to track all of them down. But the biggest thing that is happening in this Solana ecosystem is that a whole nother team that's building a second client from scratch. So the probability of the same bug is existing in both is virtually zero. And that improves both safety and reliability. Got it. So it sounds like you're putting a lot of resources and a lot of effort yeah. into securing the network at this point. But like the key thing that folks need to understand is that Solana is decentralized to a level that these stalls don't never impact safety. They never impact loss of funds. There's never been a single confirmed block that's been rolled back. Do you think that at the end of the day, I mean, you have this vision for you know, crypto going mobile and for apps to sort of be the way that Web3 grows. Do you think that users of those apps really care about decentralization? Yeah, that's a good question. I think collectors of NFTs care that they own NFTs. I don't know how deep you go in an NFT crypto Twitter, but people really passionately care about the fact that they own them and yeah, that they have deeper than I'd like sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> but they have true digital ownership of these things, and this is, I think, a very natural thing. Like as a human, like when you own stuff, you really don't want somebody to take it away. And once you experience that, I don't think you'd want to go back to the Web two model where you're kind of always renting from, you know, our feudal overlords. <laughs> Sure, sure. I want to um, switch gears a little bit here and talk a little bit more about developers because you know this to me is something that really has differentiated Solana in terms of growth so far. But you know when I think about this problem, there's also a pool of people who has been largely left out of that whole conversation. You know, the stats are pretty bad in tech for women specifically is what I'm talking about. But in crypto, they're even worse. I think it's like around eight percent of Web three employees overall are women, and probably even fewer who are actually engineers. And, you know, I know we were chatting about this earlier and I had asked for how many women you have on the Solana Labs team. And I know you had declined to share that information. But what can you tell me about what you're doing to uh, bring more women into the ecosystem? Yeah, it sucks. I would even say that it's a worse problem in the United States than in Asia. And, and like recruiting talented folks is really, really hard. And in crypto, it's even harder because I think it's all a bunch of dudes. Like that, that just sucks. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, um, I think this is a really tough challenge for startups to handle. The way we've been trying to do this is like just pay more. Like that's that's kind of you got to suck it up <laughs> and like pay more for for hires. But it's really really hard to. Do you even, think that will help bring more women into the ecosystem? Um, the folks that are picking crypto are picking a very risky career choice, and this is something that I think is an internal decision that folks need to make. And it's often harder when you're struggling with a career at all, like in, in tech particularly. And that's usually like a harder decision for anyone that doesn't have like an easy fallback. So I don't know, like I would be happy, like if I had a solution, I would definitely be executing on it. But this is like, I think one of the hardest problems in the US for, for tech specifically. Are you concerned at all that if, you know, there are groups of people who are left out of the conversation in terms of development, that maybe that's going to affect demand or the ability for Web3 to grow to different groups of people? Yeah, absolutely. I think most devs will build applications with biases that serve themselves. I think that that's just basically kind of common sense. And I think, as you've seen in adoption, it isn't targeted, it, you know, 
adoption of crypto, most people that are in crypto conferences are pretty homogenous. That's also, I think, a problem. Right, right. But there's nothing specific at this point that you want to share that you, you know, you're focused on in terms of that problem? Yeah, no magic wand. I think it's going to be a grind. Like internally, we're trying, but it's a pretty up, up, uphill climb. Gotcha. Yeah. You know, I want to zoom out to sort of bring this all back to the future. And, you know, everyone wants a forward-looking statement, I know. But in five years' time, what do you think are going to be the use cases or the apps built on Solana that will be indispensable? This is the also like kind of the billion-dollar question. And I don't know. Like, I have this dream that maybe, you know, when we get to a point where there's 100 million people, you know, half a billion people with self-custody, what that changes to the world is that it allows all these folks to coordinate instantly, right, to make decisions digitally on the web that are very impactful. You know, what if 100 million people all decided to go buy every coal plant in the world and shut it down? Like right now, that would be very, very hard to do because of the different jurisdictions, how you raise money, all of the stuff. You don't trust any of the folks involved that are pitching in this. But as soon as it's a DAO with a smart contract that receives funding and can execute immediately without failure, that kind of like collective action becomes, I think, a very powerful tool Potentially scary, but I think most folks are good, and I think that could be a very powerful tool for change. So what do you think Solana is going to be remembered for? Um, I'm not sure. Cheap and fast. That, that would be good enough. Okay. All right. I think that's a good place to wrap it up. Thank you yeah, so much for, for this sure. conversation. It's great chatting sure. with you. We'll be back every week with the top news on the crypto ecosystem. Catch us on Tuesdays for interviews with experts in the Web3 space. You can keep up with us on Spotify, Apple Music, or your favorite pod platform, and subscribe to our companion newsletter, also called Chain Reaction. Links to the newsletter and the stories we talked about can be found in our show notes, and be sure to follow us at Chain underscore Reaction on Twitter. Chain Reaction is hosted by myself, Anita Ramaswamy, along with my co-host, Jacqueline Melanick. We are produced by Yashad Kulkarni, and our associate producer is Maggie Stamets, with editing by Cal Keller. Bryce Durbin is our illustrator, Alyssa Stringer leads audience development, and Henry Pickovet manages TechCrunch's audio products. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.